I'm going to turn in the Word of God this evening to Hebrews and chapter 10, and our text are verses 38 and 39. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. These verses are famous, especially verse 38, the just shall live by faith. Famous because of the Reformation doctrine that it contains, and the biblical doctrine, obviously, that it contains about justification by faith alone. The just shall live by faith. What a powerful verse that was at the time of the Reformation and since then. Originally, the text comes from the book of Habakkuk, Chapter 2, verse 4. And uh, the book of Habakkuk is very relevant for today's situation. As Habakkuk looked out on the world at his time, he was perplexed at what he saw. What he saw was violence, iniquity, grief, injustice, wickedness, drunkenness, pride, uh, evil governments rising up with mighty military power and invading other countries and uh, destroying them. And he prayed, why do you allow it, God? Why, why, what, are you, what are you allowing this to, to happen? Why, why, what's going on? And uh, God encourages him that uh, he should have a a long-term vision of things. And it is true. The proud, the arrogant, the wicked uh, live by sight. They see what they want and they go for it and be woe to anybody who stands in the way. But those proud people, proud people will die. They will be brought down, humbled, and their end is death. But the humble, people who trust God, will live. Life will be their portion, now and eternally. And they will live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so at the end of his prophecy, that's why Habakkuk can say, well, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there is no fruit on the vine and the olive fails, there's no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There's this joy in the Lord because of faith, trusting God. And this text, the just shall live by faith, is quoted three times in the New Testament. And uh, each part of it really becomes the focus of each quote. The just, the righteous, the people that God considers righteous, and the people who will then live righteous lives. Uh, Paul opens that out in the book of Romans, where he quotes uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, in Romans, there's a righteousness which is given by faith. And Paul develops that there. And then in Galatians, he quotes the same verse. The just shall live by faith. And the emphasis in Galatians is how Christians live. The righteous live by faith. This is how they live. 
And here, obviously in Hebrews, the emphasis is upon faith. The just shall live by faith. And then the, the writer to the Hebrews opens up what faith is all about. And it's so important because the Christian life is a life of faith. It's important we understand what faith is. Uh, my parents used to have a Christian magazine or newspaper. I'm not quite sure what it was. But, uh, the Life of Faith. Does that ring any bells with anybody? The Life of Faith. It used to come weekly, and uh, my parents used to read it avidly. And it is true. The Christian life is a life of faith. And from beginning to end, you begin the Christian life through the exercise and the gift of faith. You live the Christian life, uh, exercising faith. Uh, you die in the Christian life, unless Christ returns before. You die in faith, a, a believer. So the text tells us about this wonderful faith. And it tells us about true faith. There's true faith and there's a kind of empty profession of faith. Remember James in his letter says, uh, you know, you say you believe. Well, so what? The devils believe. That kind of faith won't save you. There's a reality to true faith. And there is also a false faith. And there is a false faith mentioned here. Uh, there are those who draw back to perdition. They, they seem to have a faith, but it's not real faith because it, it draws back. But genuine faith does not draw back. Genuine faith perseveres. Uh, genuine faith goes on and on. And faith brings pleasure to God. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, because he hasn't got true faith, then my soul shall have no pleasure in him, says God. I don't have pleasure, says God, in the people who've got this false, empty faith, just an empty profession. But God does take pleasure in faith as he sees it operating in Christians. So the pleasure that faith brings to God. And then the experience of salvation that faith brings at the, the end of verse 39. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're not the people with that empty, just profession of faith. We've got the, the real thing. And the real thing is a belief that moves to the saving of the soul. So these three things that I want us to, to look at this evening in answering these questions. Do I have true faith or fake faith? True faith or fake faith? Is my faith bringing pleasure to God? Is the exercise of my faith bringing pleasure to God day by day? And am I experiencing the salvation of my soul? We're not of those who draw back. We're of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Am I experiencing the salvation of my soul? So do I have true faith? It's the first question. The just shall live by faith. So it's important you know what true faith is, not this fake stuff. True faith. 
Now, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, a beautiful story in Matthew and Luke where the, the Roman centurion uh, sends to Jesus to ask him to, or he, he doesn't come to Jesus, he, he sends people to Jesus. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. He sends to Jesus uh, to ask Jesus to heal his servant. Says, and Jesus says, after he'd marveled, Jesus marveled at what the, the centurion was saying. And he said, I've not found such great faith. No, not in all Israel. I've been from Galilee down to Judea and Jerusalem. I've, I've been all over the, the, this land and I've not found such great faith as this centurion. Do you think of the pleasure that that centurion's faith gave to Jesus? It certainly pleased him. It was true faith. And here in Hebrews, uh, we have a, a, a partial description of true faith. And then we have a full illustrated catalogue of what faith is like. And then we have in chapter 12, the focus of faith, Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then there's the, the fellowship of faith uh, in Hebrews 12. So this section of Hebrews is opening up the reality of faith, a description of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This isn't a definition of faith, it's a description of faith. Uh, definitions give a comprehensive analysis of the meaning of the word. So if you want a definition of a word, you go to the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, or some other equivalent, and they give you all these uh, different uh, meanings to the word, different shades of meaning. The definition is comprehensive. And this verse is not a comprehensive definition of faith. It doesn't say that faith is a gift of God's grace. It doesn't say uh, the object of faith. It just gives us a description. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. A description. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope uh, is mentioned earlier in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6 and verse 19, and, and verse 18 and 19. By two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hope is this anchor that's entered within the veil into the holy place in heaven. And this hope is fixed there, fixed on the rock of ages, Jesus. Uh, he's there within the veil, the anchor of hope is anchored upon him, fixed upon him, sure and steadfast, uh, Christian hope. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
So I want you to think of faith as the anchor rope of hope. Faith, the anchor rope of faith. Now, when I was a minister in Eastbourne, there was a couple there who had a house in Scotland on the edge of a lock. And they uh, sent us up there on holiday. And to my children's joy, there was a boat connected to the house. Well, it wasn't connected. It was uh, with the house. If it was connected, it wouldn't have been much good. Uh, but it's there on the, on the lock. And we would go out in the boat, into the lock, do some fishing. We would let down the anchor rope. Down and down and down it went, hoping we could anchor and then we wouldn't be drifting on the tide. But the, the lock was so deep, it never reached the bottom. However long this rope was, it never reached the bottom. But the, the anchor was heavy enough to just sort of hold us in place for a while. But if the anchor latches onto a rock and it's fixed, then uh, you can say, yes, it's fixed. We're firm and sure now. I can get on with the business of fishing without worrying about the tide taking us out to sea. So the anchor rope knows that the, the anchor is attached to the rock. And that anchorage give you, gives you this, this ability to, to uh, fish on the lock, you know there's this connection. It gives a, a substantial reality. You are anchored, and you know you're anchored. And the, if you pull on the rope, you know there's a rock down there, a seabed, uh, which you're anchored to. Now, faith is the spiritual anchor rope of hope. It gives uh, substantial usefulness to hope for us today. Just as the, the anchor rope gives you a substantial use to the fact that it's, the anchor is anchored on the seabed. Now you can use it because you're anchored by connection with the rope. Faith is the anchor rope which, uh, and the anchor is the hope which is fixed upon Jesus in heaven. And as you're fixed to Jesus, in, as the anchor of hope is fixed on Jesus, the anchor rope of faith can say, yes, Jesus is my anchorage. Uh, I can feel the reality of it. I can feel the, the, the usefulness of this, that Jesus as my great high priest in heaven is there for me. So faith uh, gives substance to the things hoped for. Faith uh, gives substance to the, the reality, Jesus is in heaven for me. And I benefit from that. And faith is the, the, the means by which I benefit. I uh, give substantial reality to uh, Christ's high priesthood. I, give some real, I get reality of that in my life through faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
I, I couldn't see this, the seabed in the lock. And often when you drop an anchor and it does latch up onto a rock, you can't see the rock, but you know. You know the rock is there. You, can, you, you feel it. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith knows there is a Jesus in heaven. It's the, it's the anchor rope which attaches to the anchor. The anchor is fixed on Jesus and faith knows Jesus is there. The assurance that Jesus is there. So faith is this vital thing. It uh, makes uh, real in our lives what we can't see. Makes real in our lives heavenly things, heavenly truths. It makes real in my life that Jesus is in, in heaven for me. And faith assures me that it's true. So this is a, a description of faith. It's, it gives substance to the things hoped for. It gives us a realization, an actualization, an experimental uh, knowledge of what we hope for. And then there's an illustration of this, um, so many illustrations of it uh, through the chapter, chapter 11. Abel. What did Abel want to hear ultimately? He wanted to hear that he was accepted by God, forgiven his sins and accepted by God. And by faith, he offered a sacrifice which would lay hold upon that hope. A sacrifice which God had commanded, the offering of a lamb, the offering of the fat of the lamb on the altar with the blood. He offered it in faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And what happened? He obtained witness that he was righteous. He got this substantial experimental knowledge. He was accepted. He was forgiven. He was pardoned. He was uh, justified in the presence of God because by faith he offered this sacrifice. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, the, the re bringing into reality the things hoped for. He hoped that one day he would stand before God as forgiven and justified. And he brought that hope into present reality by offering that sacrifice by faith. And he was accepted. He knew it. His brother knew it. His brother knew. Look at him. God has accepted him and he's not accepted me. It was something he knew. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It brings into present reality some experience of things that are hoped for. The assurance of things not seen. So by faith he offered the sacrifice. But he knew that this sacrifice that he was offering didn't really deal with his sins. He was looking beyond that. God would one day provide the lamb that would really deal with his sin. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. He hopes that one day there will be a true substitute for him. So Abel is an illustration for us of this true faith.
do I have real faith? Do I have this anchor rope which reaches up into heaven to the anchor of hope, which is Jesus Christ, this hope which uh, is anchored in the veil, Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. Do, do I have real faith? Do you have real faith? A real connection with Jesus Christ? Have you brought into your present experience something of the reality of that thing? Faith is the substance, the substantiation, the, the realization, the bringing into reality of the things hoped for. Do you hope one day to stand before God and be pardoned by him? Do you hope one day to stand before God and to hear him say, you are righteous in my sight? Is that what you hope for? And does faith substantiate that, bring it into present reality? I know even now, to some degree, I know the reality. I am forgiven. I am justified. Because my faith reaches up and is, my hope is anchored in Jesus Christ in heaven He's accepted for me. My pardon is secure in him. My justification is secure in him. Do you have it? You, you read about all of these people. It says they all obtained a good report. They all had the experience of knowing they were forgiven, knowing they were justified. These all died in faith, having obtained a good report. That's what real faith does. Do you have real faith? Or is it just a profession, a sort of empty, uh, yeah, I believe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not good enough to just say, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Do you believe? Do you, are you anchored in heaven? Do you have this anchor rope of faith? And then a second truth from the, the text is that faith really pleases God. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Where there is real faith, there is real pleasing of God. Now, the Reformation text, the just shall live by faith, makes it very clear that the righteousness with which we are justified, is not our righteousness. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. Uh, there is no um, way that we can save ourselves. There's no way that uh, by our efforts we can please God and earn forgiveness and justification. That's very clear from scripture. So Paul says that we are justified by uh, what the reformers would call an alien righteousness, a righteousness which is not our own, a righteousness which is given to us. In Romans and chapter four, uh, you read these words. Uh, 
What says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That to him that worketh, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David describeth the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. Here it is, that the righteousness that justifies is an imputed righteousness. A righteousness which is credited to our account. So we, we don't earn our salvation by pleasing God by our works. We are sinful. We can never discharge the debt that we owe to God's righteousness. Faith is not what's called the meritorious cause of our justification. Faith doesn't earn our justification. Faith is the instrumental cause of our justification. It's the instrument. It's the, the beggar's hand that reaches out and says, yes, please, God, I'll have your gift of righteousness. Faith isn't, doesn't earn righteousness. Then the devil is always a master of distortion. And he, he loves to push people to extremes. And the devil's trap is that, yes, 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 you are truly wretched. You cannot please God. You are an abomination in the eyes of God. Yes, I know. We could say. And the devil would say, don't you ever, ever think that you will be able to please God? That would be a sin of extraordinary pride to think that you could please God. It would be a detracting from the glory of God's grace for you to think you can please God. It would be dishonoring to Christ and his salvation. So the devil would tell us all these things. You are not in a position to please God. And we would say, yes. I know I'm not of myself. By nature, I am a displeasure to God. But we have to raise the shield of faith. We have to wield the sword of the spirit and say to Satan, but I am not just a sinner. I am saved by God's grace. And by God's grace, my faith can bring pleasure to God. My living by faith can bring pleasure to God. That's what the word of God tells me. It's what the word of God teaches me. And Satan, I'm not going to listen to you when you tell me that I am so depraved and degenerate and Vile in God's sight that I should never think that I could ever please him. I was vile and degenerate before Christ and God's grace saved me. 
But now something has happened. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And God takes delight in the exercise of faith. Cannot a craftsman uh, take delight in the work they produce? A carpenter making something really special and ornate. He's planned it. He's chosen the wood. He's planed it. He's cut it. He's shaped it. He's made the joints. He's glued it. He's sanded it. He's polished it. He's polished it again. It's on display. Can't that workman take pleasure in his own work? And cannot God take pleasure in faith when he sees it being exercised? Because faith is his work in one sense. He gives it. He imparts it to people for them to exercise. And when he sees it being exercised, what a wonderful pleasure it brings to him. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're those who exercise real faith, and real faith brings pleasure to God. Enoch walked with God. Do you really seriously think that God was a bit disgruntled every time he saw Enoch coming? Oh, not Enoch again. No. Enoch walked with God. God took pleasure in Enoch coming. Enoch walked with God and he was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God translated him. As if God was taking so much pleasure in Enoch's company. He said, Enoch, come on home immediately with me now. You won't see death. Just come with me. What does the writer of the Hebrews then tell us? He says this in verse 6, or verse 5. He talks about Enoch. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God. Enoch, this man of faith, pleased God. Through the exercise of faith, he pleased God. And we see it, surely, in, in the Gospels with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus must have been pleased when he saw people um, pressing forward to him with living faith. The four men carrying their paralytic friend to the house and breaking up the roof and lowering their friend. When Jesus saw their faith, was he upset? Was he displeased? When he saw their faith, he was absolutely delighted. He was surrounded by critics who were analysing his every word, and then he sees their faith. What joy and pleasure it must have brought him. Jairus' daughter whole synagogue system was against Jesus but here's a ruler of the synagogue coming to Jesus with faith to ask him to come and heal his daughter the Syrophoenician woman pressing forward you know, even the dogs under the table uh, 
eat the crumbs that fall from the children. He was, must have been delighted with that faith. And so don't listen to Satan when he says you cannot bring pleasure to God. He'd love to capture us into that mode of thinking. My life must be so displeasing to God. Well, sometimes it is. And we need to turn from what brings God displeasure. But faith, the exercise of faith, real faith, is pleasing to God. That's what pleases him. So do I have faith? Real faith. Am I exercising faith in such a way that that yesterday, today, tomorrow, I will be bringing pleasure to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This pleasure that God receives when he sees the exercise of faith. And then, just in closing, the, the fact that true faith brings about the experience of salvation, the ongoing experience of salvation. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. You have this uh, whole chapter Describing faith, illustrating faith, and then at the conclusion, we are encouraged, chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. By by. Faith's, faith's focus will be on Jesus, looking unto Jesus. And as we uh, want to run our race looking unto Jesus, we need to lay aside every weight, every hindrance to running the Christian life. And if you read chapter 11, uh, you, you read Moses Moses laying aside everything to run this race for God. He, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. He esteems the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt because he had respect to the recompense of reward. By faith, we are to pursue holiness. And peace, uh, chapter 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We're to respond to the Father's chastening. God chastens his children. and If we are traveling a pathway of sin, then God will make the pathway rough and difficult. It's like the, the goads that poked at Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, rather than kick against the goads of God's chastening, we're to respond and believe 
and, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us and to raise us up. This running of the race, this pursuing of a holy life by faith, the just shall live by faith. Live focused on Jesus. Live focused on holiness. Live focused on this hope. We're going to see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. So pursue holiness. So those three questions that arise out of the text. The just shall live by faith. Do I have that real faith? If any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. We're not of those who draw back to the perdition, but of those that believe. Do I have an exercise of faith which is bringing pleasure to God day by day? Does your faith bring a smile, as it were, to God's face? In his unbelieving world, does he look down and say, there's somebody who's believing me? bringing me pleasure? And am I experiencing the salvation of my soul through this living faith? Those three questions. Uh, they are things for you to pray about and uh, work through, and for me as well. May God bless his word to each of our hearts. We're going to uh, sing together, number 231, 231. I know that my Redeemer lives. What joy the blessed assurance gives. He lives, he lives, who once was dead. He lives, my everlasting head. Number 231.
Thank you. 